Hello, I'm Helen Pidd and this is the Bike Podcast from The Guardian. This month's show comes to you from Pitlochry in Scotland, where I've come for the Caledonian Etap, an 81-mile sportive through the stunning locks and hills of Highland Perthshire. This event was ruined last year by a saboteur armed with carpet tacks. I've come back to find out whether the locals are happy to see the event ride again. Also on this month's podcast, Peter Walker will be taking a roster of Guardian reporters onto the streets of London to try out the latest range of electric bikes. So, oh goodness, I've done something to my bike. Uh, I've just taken my chain completely off. <laughs> I'm going to run with it instead. And I'll be taking a spin with Olympic athlete Rebecca Romero. At the moment, my bike computer is telling me we're doing 22 kilometres an hour. That's not too bad. But you I probably would would be, be doing on. about 10 kilometres an hour faster than that. Now, for villages across the pond, being on the Tour de France route is an honour. Roads are repaired, flowers are planted, the whole place takes the day off to cheer the peloton as it whizzes past. But the villagers here in Highland Perthshire don't seem to feel quite the same way about the Atap Caledonia. Last year, a small but very vocal group of locals campaigned against the inconvenience of diversions caused by the ride. Their protest culminated in someone taking the very drastic step of sprinkling tiny carpet tacks along a stretch of the route, causing quite literally thousands of punctures. One man got nine punctures across the whole route. So despite that debacle, the organisers are undeterred and the Atap Caledonia rides again, with over 4,000 cyclists expected at the start in Pitlochry. Now, the question is, will it happen again or have the locals been won over? I've stopped here on the route of the attack by Loch Rannoch to talk to two formidable-looking cyclists who I believe are taking part in the race this year. So, have you two done it before, or is it your first time? No, it's definitely my first time. Yeah, first time Sunday. And did you hear about what happened last year, the tack attack? Yeah, I did. Uh, read it in the Cycling Weekly magazine, and uh, yeah, it's disappointing. Let's hope it's not happening this year. And what are you two aiming for on Saturday? Have you got a time in mind? Oh, well, originally it was about five and a half hours, but we'll see what the wind's saying. So uh, anything, hopefully, between five and a half and six hours would be nice. They're being very modest, these uh, ladies. They told me beforehand that they've just done the Fred Whitten Challenge in the Lake District, which includes some of the most ferocious climbs in Britain. So I think you'll make it easily in uh, five hours, 30 minutes. But thank you very much. I've cycled a little further along the route to meet Sergeant David Patton, who's in charge of ensuring that things go smoothly this year. This year we have got additional policing for the event and there is additional marshalling being provided. And what, what is the opposition to the race? What, I mean, there's a small group of locals who are against it. Can you talk me through why, why that is? It's a rural location. There's very few diversionary routes that can be taken by the locals and there is a minority of them that feel that uh, the roads being closed are unjust. We've had a meeting with uh, representatives of Acre who are in opposition to the roads being closed to try and come to some sort of negotiation whereby the event will be held successfully again this year. So I'm in Kinlock Rannock, halfway around the route of the Atap Caledonia. I've just stopped uh, my lady, um, the baby in a buggy. Um, so do you live around here and what do you think about the race? 
Well, uh, first we were against it, but now it's fine. The bikers are really nice. I'm all for it now. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's a good cause for, for, for all they're doing for charity. I mean, some people I've spoken to do say, well, it's unfair. Why should we be kind of unable oh, to leave our houses for a couple of hours? What do you think about that? This thing been planned since last year. I'm sure they could make alternative arrangement. But we used to have a marathon here at one time. I never, I never heard any, anybody complaining about that. <laughs> so it's the night before the Etap Caledonia and I've just bumped into the world champion cyclist Graham O'Ree in the bar on his second, third Bex. How many beers have you had? Oh, this is my third bo- small bottle of Bex. <laughs> Don't you dare imply anything here. No, OK. But so did you hear about this tack attack, this sabotage, and what did you think about it? Well, I saw it in the news and instantly I thought, oh, that's the best thing that could have happened for the event. You couldn't have paid these people to do a better promotion job. And I think it says a lot about the popularity of cycling, that there's going to be 4,000, 5,000 people tomorrow riding on closed roads, raising hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity. 81 miles. For mortals like me, that's a long, long way. Is that a walk in the park for you? Will you even break a sweat? For models like me, that's a long, long way. I, you know, I've got a mental block about going that hard anymore because I'd spent so long pushing myself, literally don't felt at the edge of death. But I keep myself fit enough. 81 miles is still 81 miles. Welcome to Milwaukee for what is a fantastic event, the ETAP Caledonia. Can I extend on behalf of 4,500 cyclists here in the... Uh, in Apple Street, Pilocchi is wonderful, and I'm sure as you weave your way, but I wish you every success for today's event. All the best. Okay, so we're at the start of the race. I've just spotted the Olympic rower James Cracknell, fresh from the marathon yourself. Are you in contention to win this? Because you came 12th, didn't you, in the desert? Yeah, no, is the answer. I'm uh, a bit more for comfort than speed on a bike. <laughs> 80 miles is a long way. How many spare inner tubes have you got, and how quickly can you mend a puncture if it all does go horribly wrong? Uh, yeah, I'm no Formula One pit stop, put it that way, when it comes to mending a puncture. And uh, I've got one tube. I thought if, if I get more than one puncture, I'll, I'll be so annoyed I won't want to carry on. Fair dues. Okay, well, have a great ride. Thank you very much. Three, two, one. I finished, I finished. Five hours, 21 minutes, not too shabby. Not that great either. I think the winner finished in about three hours and 30 minutes. Um, The weather was beautiful. I only saw a handful of people with punctures. The only casualty seems to be poor old Ben Fogel of Castaway fame, who um, had to bail out halfway through after having a rather nasty crash. Um, So I thought I'd go and talk to a few of the other people who've just finished. Hello, sir. How did, you get, how did you get on? I, I had a fantastic day, thank you. It was wonderful. The sun was shining, the right temperature, lovely roads. Uh, compared to last year, but obviously the, the, the idiot with the tax. This year, I didn't see a single sign of anybody who wasn't delighted to see us. It was great. Cool. And how did you get on, sir? Um, I had a great day, thank you. It's been a brilliant event. My first time I'm doing it. Four and a half thousand people apparently did it. There's lots of waving, lots of people cheering, lots of kids out, banging bells. It was an an incredibly well organised. Well, from serious cycling to serious coasting. For some, 80 miles may be a cinch, but for others, hard pedalling is too much like hard work. 
For those, there's the option of the electric bicycle. These machines look like ordinary bikes but have secret powers to propel you up hills at the touch of a button. The Guardian's Peter Walker took a selection of our bike blog team out to the streets to road test a few. Uh, right, well, we're standing by the side of a road in North London, about three minutes bike ride where the Guardian uh, offices are, and we've got the bikes that the three of us turned up on. And they're slightly unusual-looking bikes. James Randerson, who's the Guardian's environment website editor, is with me. Could you describe the curious contraption, this uh, electric bike you've just arrived on? Well, in a way, mine is probably the least strange-looking of all of them because it looks pretty much like a fairly chunky standard mountain bike but with a large battery um, just behind the seat post. Um, it's a Whisper CityWorks 905SE and um, costs about 1,500 quid. Cool, which is a fair bit. For it's a fair whack. You could get a really decent bike for that sort of money, but um, obviously this has the added bonus of being able to sit there, twist your wrist, and off you go. And also with me is uh, Alec Jar, the Guardian's green technology correspondent, who despite his job, you don't really like that most green of technologies of the bike normally all that much. You're not really a cyclist, are you? I'm not a cyclist, but I, ha- I used to cycle to, to work seven miles each way a long time ago, but now I just <laughs> live too, a bit too close, and it's at that sort of critical phase where it's not quite convenient enough to sort of keep a bike going, and uh, it's just easy to get the tube, to be honest. And you've arguably drawn the kind of, well, it's not really a short uh, straw, but you've got the, the, the cheapest of the uh, I just turned bikes. up late, that's what happened. <laughs> I've got uh, what's called a smarter bike, smarter with an A, to make it cool, I expect. And it looks like a fairly standard bike. It's, it's kind of a nice sort of shimmery blue colour. It's got a pannier carrier. I mean, it's quite fun to ride, actually. And now we turn to the bike, which I arrived on just now, and it doesn't really look much like a bike, does it, James? No, it looks more like a, a sort of scaled-down moped. I mean, the, you know, the tyres are... Uh, I don't know, sort of two and a half inches thick or something. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty chunky. I think I think um, motorists will give you a bit of respect on this. Thing. <laughs> uh, it's got this wonderful thing which you noticed first, James, which is the boost button, which is great. I mean, t- t- talk me through what the boost button does. <laughs> well, if you've got the, the throttle kicked in and you're you're cruising along quite nicely, you hit boost and it just takes off. It's incredible. Um, and I think technically. If you go faster than 15 miles an hour on it, then you're breaking the law. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll gloss over that. I think when I was pressing the boost button, I was certainly breaking the law because it takes you closer to certainly 20 miles an hour. Right, I think the plan now is to uh, test them out. OK. Three marks. Guess I go. Go. Oh, oh yeah. Come on. I've got hope. <laughs> Come on. Alok is in the lead. All oh, right, he really is taking off. I think he's pressed the boost button now. Whoa! This boost is quite incredible. He's left us for dust. <laughs> to quote Alan Partridge, it feels like someone's hit this with a traction engine. And left the others eating dust. Peter and I are, are lagging far behind. Well, particularly <laughs> Peter, who is miles behind. It's actually very smooth. Yes, you're much more elegant on that thing. You have to be quite careful of the brakes on that as well, because they're, they're yeah, also power-assisted. And uh, the if you're not careful, you're, you're straight over the handlebar. I'm just a passenger on this thing. There's, I don't control any of this, clearly. Even without the boost, the electric assist on this is actually quite impressive. It feels like you're on, rolling down a hill very, very fast. This is a respectable second here for the bike that's 500 quid cheaper. I was about a minute behind you. Alok, you, you were 
you, you were pedaling, why? It didn't make any difference. Well, I realised uh, when I put the boost on that I went very fast and then suddenly uh, James turned up in my wing mirror <laughs> and I thought I've got, I can't lose this race. But what you find with this bike actually is that it's very, very heavy. So when you're yeah. trying to pedal, it doesn't really move very much faster. Really you might as well not bother really. Whereas that one is not quite half the weight, but it's, it's you know, 20 something kilos, only about twice the weight of a normal bike rather than three or four times. No, 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 not at all. Which segues neatly into our next exercise, which is to uh, race around this block uh, without the power. So can I, can I swap bikes <laughs> with someone? Yes, of course. I'm actually can. exhausted. You can have this one then. So you're going to try the beast. I'll try riding it. Okay. Okay, are we off? We're off. Let's go. Okay, this go. This is like trying to cycle a Harley Davidson. It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> impossible. <laughs> So, oh goodness, don't tell me to my bike. Uh, I've just taken my chain completely off. <laughs> I can't move this thing. I'm going to run with it instead. Once you get this thing going, it has a lot of speed. Peter has overtaken me on the beast, but I've got him in my sights. This is no good at all. I'm running with my bike. I know that you meant to get fit with this sort of stuff, but this is slightly ridiculous. Valiant effort, Peter Walker. <laughs> well, the beast did surprisingly well there. It did actually. Yeah, I'm quite impressed with that. <laughs> Absolutely jacking. It's like it's like it's like cycling a car. It really is. <laughs> Whereas, uh, Alloc, I think we'd better go and pick him up. Oh, there yeah, he is. He's I walking. Think the, yeah, the uh, chain fell off. Oh, yeah. Well, they're about a hundred yards ahead of me. Finished having coffees, smoking cigarettes. This bike's rubbish. <laughs> Right, we've done the races, we've all tried the bikes out. Um, James, would you be tempted to buy an electric bike? Which one of these is the one you like best? And, you know, would you part with the cash? Uh, they're a lot of fun, particularly the Beast. Uh, <laughs> but two grand, I mean, you could get a really nice bike for that. And, I mean, it, the advantage of it is that you can basically be on a, on a scooter light without all the hassle of insurance and a, and a crash helmet and things like that. But uh, uh, for me, I think I'm going to stick to my bike. Hello, could this tempt you back out onto the roads? Well, part of the reason for getting a bike for me would be to actually get fitter. It'd be something to do uh, to sort of just put into your day to sort of make sure you can eat pies all day long. But, <laughs> uh, but I don't know if this would help in that respect, because I think I would just keep the electrics on. The other thing I'd be worried about is that uh, when I can barely repla uh, replace a tyre with a puncture, never mind fixing electronics if they go wrong. For me, I mean, I'm someone who likes riding bikes, so I probably wouldn't, but I could understand someone who maybe has an injury or perhaps just wants to gradually get fit. Then I can imagine possibly they would. Hello, I'm Chris Bordenman and my favourite cycle route at the moment is a small uh, off-road track called the Wirral Way and it starts probably one minute from my door. It's a nice track uh, that takes me probably 10-15 miles out if I want to go that far and uh, I maybe see one or two people. So that's uh, great, I'm really enjoying that and it's keeping me fit most days. So here I am in Henley-on-Thames, home of the Royal Regatta, Boris Johnson's former constituency, and Rebecca Ramiro, the Olympian extraordinaire. Hello, Rebecca. Good morning. <laughs> you probably know Rebecca as the amazing superwoman who won a silver medal in the Athens Olympics and then came back four years later in a totally different discipline on her bike and then she won a gold in the velodrome in Beijing. So she's offered to um, take me for a spin around her hometown. So where are we going to go today? 
We're going to go into the picturesque Chilterns. I'm going to take you to a lovely little village called Turval, which is where the Vicar of Dibley was filmed. And then to Ibstone, which is where there's an amazing windmill, which is the windmill from the famous film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, well, fantastic. Well, let's get going. I'm about mm, 10 inches shorter than you, and I reckon shorter legs means I'm going to have to work harder. So, wait for me if you end up going too fast. Left or right? Uh, we'll turn left here. Okay, cool. It's beautiful, you only have to take a few turns out of town and already we're in rolling countrysides, you know, hedgerows, the kind of England that poets have written about really. So, I mean, is this where you train at the moment and what are you training for? Yeah, this is where I ride around here. When I'm going out for my long training rides, anything up to like five hours sometimes then, I can fit quite a bit of mileage in and having had some downtime after the games in Beijing, I'm kind of just building a base fitness kind of combining a bit of road racing, a bit of time trialling and deciding over the next year where my focus and my race focus is going to lie and my best medal opportunities. So you're going to be at the London Olympics in some way, shape or form, you hope? Yeah. But you don't yeah, know, you really don't know in what discipline yet? Well, the individual pursuit, the event I competed in at Beijing was, was cut from the Games, unfortunately, um, in December. So my intentions were to return to the track and defend my title in London and just seeing if I might be able to be competitive at an international level at the time trial, just purely just to kind of broaden my racing experience and have a challenge of a different discipline. But I'm just going to see how it happens. I'd love to see whether I could be competitive in the time trial, but I know that that would be a second-ranked event. Ah, it's a big <laughs> God, she's racing ahead. going down kind of an avenue, a, a tree-lined avenue at the moment, in the shade for a little bit. As you can hear, I'm a little bit out of breath, but I imagine we're not going very fast. Bex has got some her swanky-looking bike computer attached to her bike. Give me the stats. Uh, at the moment, uh, my bike computer is telling me we're doing 22 kilometres an hour. Okay. On this stretch of road, that's not too bad. <laughs> but you I probably would, would be, be doing on. about 10 kilometres an hour faster than that. Okay. But you wouldn't be being interviewed at the same time? No, I wouldn't. This is a first for me, an interview on a bike. Sometimes I get the impression that elite athletes don't necessarily like what they do, they just like winning. That's a tough question. <laughs> I think for me, I've always wanted to win, I've always wanted to be an athlete, I've always wanted to go to the Olympic Games, and it's just the mode that got me there. I fell into rowing, and it wasn't the love of the sport, it was the same with the switch to cycling. But it's a lot to have to do every single day something that you don't love doing. Well, most of the time you hate it because you're just dragging yourself to it, but then there are those days when you do, it's really enjoyable up and down and then other days you just want to get off your bike and like throw it in a ditch it's a kind of love-hate relationship really do you ever run red lights do i run red lights no way no way <laughs> good now i'm 
I'm a good cyclist. So we've finished our ride now. We're back in Henley-on-Thames, outside a rather nice looking cake shop. So yeah, shall we go inside? Cool. Let's talk about um, what's been happening in the past year. How much of a blow was it when you heard that the UCI had definitely been in your events for the Olympics, so the individual mm. pursuit and the I points race? Because it was, it was so unexpected. I could not believe they would allow those changes to go through. But I didn't just lose one event, I lost two events. So I thought that was kind of the end of my career. And you said yourself that some people have benefited from it. So of course, like Victoria Pendleton, she can now do three. And she, she seems to be the one who was, who was um, kicking, up, kicking up a fuss after Beijing, saying, this isn't fair. Why can the men go for more medals than the women? Mm. Do you ever think, God, if she hadn't made a fuss, I might still have my event? Yeah, I, like I do think that, but I still support her. I think Victoria was definitely right to, to voice her opinions. When I was in an argument with somebody the other day about our favourite Olympians, I was saying Rebecca Ramiro because she had the balls to change sports and like having the audacity to go for it. That's what I think is really great. As an athlete, you're trying to think, well, what am I actually striving to achieve? What is the what is the point of this, and why do I want to carry on? And the reason why I wasn't afraid to get stuck into a new sport and actually kind of say that I wanted to win and want to be the best. I think the aim of being like an elite athlete is you want to find the point, well at least I do, this is what I see, is that I want to find the point at which I can do no more, I want to find my breaking point, the point at which I fail, because then I know that I've done everything and that's as far as I can go. Well, that's it for this month's bike podcast. Before I go, a quick plug for my own book, which has just hit the shops. It has the startlingly original title of Bicycle and is a guide to everyday cycling for people who want to get on their bikes without wearing lycra. This month's show was produced by Francesca Panetta and I'm Helen Pidd. We'll be back next month with more cycling tips and tales. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.